I want to talk about the meditation of God's word. There are fruits that we can benefit from, from meditating on God's word. And it's important that we do so. How many of you know our thoughts are important? You know, the things that you think about the scripture says, as a man, and that's in a generic sense, man or woman, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts control your emotions. Your emotions are governed entirely by what you're thinking about at that time. And if you can't corral your thoughts and, and really manipulate them in a certain way so that uh, your life will be governed and controlled by Scripture, then I can promise you there's an adversary that would love to get hold of your mind and then really just cause you to go crazy. You have probably heard of people who have had nervous breakdowns. There's a lot of people have those every day. And usually what that entails is, a, is an infirmity in their mental capacity. So the scripture speaks of individuals that are feeble-minded. That is to say they're weak. Here. So we have to work to build up that mind because no man or woman has ever had a nervous breakdown doing Joshua chapter 1 and then later what we're going to see in Philippians. So if you want to be able to hold it together and keep yourself together, let's pay attention to Joshua chapter 1 beginning with verse number Number eight, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Now, what that means, let me say what it does not mean. What it does not mean is you're not supposed to speak the word or say the word or believe the word or confess the word. What this means is this is supposed to be in in your mouth, on your lips all the time. There should never be a time where God's word is not connected with your speech. That's what that means. You shall meditate therein day and night. Now, Pastor, when can I meditate on and think about something else? Well, if you can find a time frame or a moment that's outside of day and night, then go for it. That thou mayest observe to do according to all, according to all that is written therein. Therein were, they're in the law of God. For then, here's the fruit of that, the action. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. Now, I've never met anyone who did not want to be prosperous. I certainly have not met anyone whose life's ambition was to be unsuccessful. But Joshua 1 and 8 speaks to us, Quite clearly, verse 9, have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. The context for this book is this. Moses has become elderly because of an anger issue. He was not permitted to enter into the promised land. But the Lord had told Moses to take Joshua, his faithful minister, servant, and lay hands on him. The Bible says when he did, that a spirit of wisdom came upon Joshua, and the Lord had to speak to Joshua in the preceding verses in verse 2, and let him know that Moses, my servant, is dead, which is to say, people don't live forever. 
However, Moses was a leader for a season. Moses primarily did the thinking for you, but now you're going to have to do the thinking for yourself now. Moses was the one that kept the book of the law and meditated in the book of the law. And everybody else just kind of lived off of what he was doing. But Moses is dead now. You have an opportunity here. And the Lord goes on to tell him that as I was with Moses, I will also be with you. Now, that is a very important thing to know, because if you remember what God did for Moses, supernatural signs and wonders, the presence that was there in his life. And God gives Joshua the promise that to the same degree, in equal measure, I'm going to be with you then that should have gave Joshua a reason to roll his shoulders back and to stand upright and erect. And he did. And so verse number five, the Lord says, there shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He's telling Joshua, change your thinking now. You have to move from the position of being a follower to the position of being a leader. It's the same when someone's been a youth pastor for a number of years and then suddenly they become elected to be a pastor. You have to change your thinking. Your messages have to change. You can't preach children's sermons to adults week after week. And when you have a particular job where you're over here and then suddenly you make a lateral move into another job or promotion comes to you and you move into another position, you have to change your thinking. Because if you're going to do the exact same thing at the top that you were doing at the bottom, then what was the point of the promotion? People provide you with access to certain things because they expect you to lead people into the promised land. And the best leaders are people that can govern their minds and control their thoughts. They're the kinds of people that will look at enemies. And even though Goliath stands so tall, 16 feet tall, 17 feet tall, high tall he was someone like David looks at him and says you're still not tall enough to handle me and my God that's the difference it's a mentality later on Joshua he commands the sun the sun and the the, uh, moon to stand still and the scripture says it happens for a period of time everything stops the luminaries they're held by the word of God everything stops and stops its motion but, but my thinking on that was always, why would a man, or how could a man, even conceive a thought like that? See, most people would have never thought to say that. But the Bible says God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. If you want God to do bigger things for you, then you've got to think big. If you want God to do the biggest and grandest thing he can do for you, then you have to think bigger. But you cannot think small and expect from that kind of thinking great salvations and great power to be manifest. So let's tear into the word. Verse 8, the book of the law. At this present time, as this is written, Joshua only had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers in Deuteronomy. I don't know what kind of form it was in. I don't know if it was in a written form so that everything was in one particular volume. More than likely, whatever kind of written form it was in, there were a variety of scrolls. 
And these scrolls were available to him and they probably were kept in a, in a particular place. So he had the ability to refer to it, almost like someone maybe going to a library. Because whether you think about it like this or not, you've got 66 books, or 70, depending on how you divide up the Psalms. You have your own private library with respect to the words of God. That's what this is. It's a library. And, and the good people who were able to bind and print it, y'all, to praise the Lord, that they made that possible for you to have this at all times. But five books. What did Joshua have available to him? Available to him was Genesis. So he learned from Genesis 1 that God created everything. If God made the heavens and the earth and God hung the stars in the sky, scooped out the valleys in the earth, created the mountaintops and every beautiful flower, what is it God cannot do? If he could make all of the heavens and the earth, surely from dust he could make a man. So we shouldn't be astonished when the scripture tells us that from that man, he took a rib and made a woman. So from Genesis 1, 1, straight on through each chapter, God begins with supernatural, miraculous things that are designed to cause you to believe your God is so great. There's nothing he can do in this earth. This becomes a theater for the manifestation of his glory. That's what this is for. So when the devil gets into the picture We've already demonstrated God is the biggest one in chapter 2 and chapter 1. So when the devil enters the scene in chapter 3, the devil is not portrayed as someone who's bigger than God. Then God starts with Noah, one man in the midst of a generation that was holy. God demonstrated he could bring a flood. God started over with Noah. Noah became the new Adam. And because of Noah's relationship with his wife, he ended up with those those children. And from those children, the greater part of the earth that we have available to us today is populated by them. This is why we talk about the Semites, descendants of Shem. This is why we talk about Indo-European people, because those good folks uh, come from Noah's son. We've got the African people come from Noah's son. Well, God then, after the flood, took a man named Abraham, and that man Abraham became the progenitor of a brand new tribe of people, a family that has populated the earth. God promised Abraham that if you can look up there in the sky and you can count the number of stars, you'll be able to determine how many children you're going to have. He was unable to do it, and still, to this day, you can't, you can't number <coughs> all of them that have been here on the planet. So this is what was available to Joshua. And then the book of Exodus, the greatest and most miraculous deliverance that is recorded in past history. In fact, it was so miraculous that the Lord brought them out with signs and wonders from Egypt that the prophets afterwards continue to tell the story over and over again. I am the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt, thus saith God, over and over again. And the only miracle of deliverance that we have from Scripture that will be greater than that deliverance was when the Lord prophesied in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah about the restoration of Israel and said that once Israel comes back into the land and they have, it says that no longer will anybody talk about the deliverance from Egypt. They'll talk about the restoration of Israel in the land. That's what Joshua had available to him. Leviticus, 
gives us the ritual and liturgy for the priest, holiness unto the Lord. They, they learn from reading that book that God is holy. Now, you probably didn't know this, but when Jewish people start teaching kids Hebrew, they start with the book of Leviticus. Now, you and, and I, we probably wouldn't start with that book. Because I can't say it's the most exciting book to read. But the reason they start with the book of Leviticus is because they want to introduce Jewish people to the holiness of God immediately. He's different. He's not like any other God because there is no other God. Then, of course, Numbers and Deuteronomy take the law of God, give us illustrations of the travels and journeys of the children of Israel through the wilderness, how God dealt with them, how God delivered them, how the children of Israel was charged to go in and go after Canaanites, Hittites, and overcome them. So when the scripture says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law should not depart out of your mouth, then that is what he's talking about. He's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. He wants Joshua to have a conception of God that is so great that when you speak, your words are big. Your ideas about God are huge. As your president would say, huge with a Y. You see, as our president will say. OK, so this book of the law should be in your mouth. Now, why? Why is this important for Joshua? Well, Joshua's leading millions of people. And if he's going to come in contact with opposition from within his own camp and come into contact with opposition that are amongst the other nations, do you know how difficult it will be to try to keep yourself encouraged if you honestly believe that your God isn't bigger than your enemy? Have, have you ever been around with some, some people that, that when they talk, they are defeatists? They defeat themselves in, the, in their speech? The reason they talk like that, they think like that. Now, there are a lot of things you cannot control. You can't control the weather. You, you, you can't, um, you, you're, you're not going to be able to control other people's actions unless these people are under your influence. But I can tell you one thing you can control. You can control what goes on up here. No two thoughts can occupy the same space at the same time. So if you want to change your mind, all you have to do is stop thinking about what you're thinking about. Now, you may say that seems like it's harder to do than it would seem, but it's not that difficult at all. You just have to begin to meditate on something else. So day and night, the scripture says here, that book of the law, meditate day and night. All he had was five books. I have given you a few of the stories mentioned from Genesis to Deuteronomy. So th think what would happen if you started meditating on those things. If you sat around and, and rather than rather than thought about the possibility that you might lose a job, the possibility that things are falling apart. If you began to think about in Genesis chapter one, everything that God did, he, he was putting things together. He was making sure things fell into line. And if you meditate on that, then you will realize you still are a vital piece in God's creative process. And God will go out of his way to make sure that in your life, everything falls into place rather than falling apart. It's a matter of thinking. You say, well, what if things don't seem to be falling into line or falling into place. Now, here's the thing. You can, you can meditate on that and be depressed and be sad 
be in a fetal position at home. Or you can choose to meditate on Genesis 1 and see how God begins to put things together. However it works out, your emotions are going to be attached or tied to whatever it is that you're thinking about. And it just seems to me a merry heart doth good like a medicine, the Bible says. So it's a whole lot better to get well, a whole lot better to have a happy home if I think God's thoughts rather than my own. Because I, I, I can tell you, I have days when I wake up and I say, oh, my word. <sighs> I need another occupation. Say, Lord, of all the pastors in the United States of America, me, Lord, are you sure you didn't say Alaska? See, I've done that before. Tiffany and Tay, I've been going down the road. Do you think we miss God? And then I get right back where I need to be, meditating on the Word of God. That, that's that's where that's where. Uh, I'm supposed to be. And the only time, only time I've ever had moments like that is when it just seemed like it really was a bad week. It has to really be, really be a bad week. So verse eight again, meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written. So there is a specific practice of life. There are actions that you have to be involved in. Meditation is one, but then just there's the follow through. You have to do what you're thinking about. Now, you have probably heard people say before that faith should be accompanied with a corresponding action. And that's true. If you believe it, do it. If you believe God is holy, worship him. Love him. If you believe God is, is, has sanctified you and brought you into the kingdom of God, live a godly life then. Live like him. Act like him. Don't just look in the word of God, think about the word of God, but then fail to live the word of God. Apply it. Don't just think about how wonderful it is that God has done great and mighty things. Apply it to your life. Say, Lord, it's wonderful that you've done great and mighty things in your word, but it's also wonderful that you're going to do great and mighty things through me. If there's no application, there's no point of the thinking of the, the scripture. And you're no different than Joshua. You just have a different task. God gives us all different assignments, but if you think that that Joshua was such a holy man or Moses was such a holy man that, that this is why God used him, you've misunderstood the scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you're dealing with sinners. You're dealing with people with frailties, weaknesses, flaws, infirmities, just like you, just like me. They're no better than you. They're no better than me. The only difference is some people think better. Some people apply the word better. Some people are not afraid to step out in faith and do something bigger. That's the difference. So verse 8 again, if you do these things, you'll make your path prosperous. Well, prosperity as a Christian is a whole lot better than poverty as a Christian. You know, you can do a whole lot more money with $2 than you can with one. You can buy more candy. Yeah. And, and if you have $100, $100 is going to help take care of you, maybe bless somebody else a little bit more than if you only had $10. But God is telling you about prosperity, but that, that isn't all of it. That's just, the scripture says in Proverbs, money, uh, money answereth all things, and that's true. But the scripture also tells us love of money is the root of all evil. But what I want you to understand is that prosperity is not simply related to your economic status. We need prosperity in our body. So the scripture says in, in John, 
one of the smaller letters of John, that I would, that you would prosper and in addition be in good health. So it's not just that God wants us to do well. God wants us to do well in life, but he also wants us to do well in our bodies. God doesn't have a problem with health. God doesn't have a problem with healing. God doesn't have a problem with preventive maintenance that's needed on this physical body. God's desire for you is prosperity for you in every aspect of your life. Now, if you tell me, well, I have a place in my life where I'm not sure God wants me to prosper, then I'm going to say you need to read the Bible and find out God wants you to prosper in every area of your life. Because if he doesn't, what's the point of all of this? God does not want you to have uh, this agriculture area. God does not want uh, our farmers to not do well. Everything around here, for the most part, depends upon agriculture. So if I was a natural farmer, and and I've done this with uh, people before, when harvest time and they let me get out there and climb in that tractor, they never let me, they never let me drive that combine though, but they let me get in that cab sometime. But, but I'm in there and we're going through the fields and I'm saying, Father, I just thank you for a wonderful harvest. Lord, let this be a greater yield than ever before. If they're planting and I'm up there in the cab, I'm rolling right along the fields and I'm saying the same thing. I'm saying, Father, I'm just believing this is going to be a great harvest come fall. And Lord, every seed that's planted, I pray that it produces more than it's ever produced before. And even if the rain doesn't come and the heavens are shut up, Lord, for whatever reason, I'm believing you can supernaturally bring dew and moisture to this land, even if other people don't have it. See, You have to think like that. If you don't think like that, then it's trouble. Well, I'm not a natural farmer, so I'm a spiritual farmer. So I still believe in the principles of sowing and reaping. So when I minister the word of God, I have every expectation that, Lord, there'll be some good ground where the word is sown into people's hearts. And when they hear the word of God, it'll produce in their lives, bring forth fruit that'll be a blessing to other people. And never forget this principle. You do not bear fruit for yourselves. You bear fruit for other people. If you go to Florida and you're walking through an orange orchard, I can promise you the people that are picking and people like you and me who go to the grocery stores and the folks that go to farmer's market, we're the ones that are eating it. The trees down there not devouring the fruit. And when God tells you to bring forth faith, meekness, temperance, patience, and so on, you're bringing forth fruit that's going to be devoured by somebody else because there will be somebody you come in contact with that's not having a good day and is having a bad day and it seems like it's a sad day. And then they come along and here you are right in their midst and they reach out and grab that fruit from your tree. Because you, you make them laugh. You make them smile. You make them happy. You give them encouraging words. You make them believe that God can do anything because your words are just exploding with faith and trust and belief. And so when they get around, you're just like, oh, yes, I feel like I can go chase a bear with a switch. Feeling big. But then you also know there are people that when you get around them, you feel worse after they've been around you. And so when they call, you look at the caller ID and you just shake your head and say, I am not in the mood for this right now. Yeah, we don't want you to be like that. We want you to be encouraged and we want you to be an encourager. And when you're having those moments in your life that, that are difficult, pull the word out, get right back on the scripture. And the scripture says, then you shall have good success. Success. So the two can go together because you can be prosperous, but less successful in certain areas of your life. 
You say, how can that work? You, you, you can make it from point A to point B and become a billionaire, but lose your family in the process. Not be a successful family person. Yeah. But God wants you to be able to go from point A to point Z and have not only the blessing, but also be able to be successful in different areas of your life. Maintaining relationships. The devil loves discord. He doesn't like harmony and accord. Well, let's go to Philippians, please. Philippians chapter 4. Joshua gives us the way to take the land. I have had people, and you'd probably be surprised I get this question quite often. How in the world do you stay out in rural Nebraska preaching the gospel and remain encouraged? I keep my thinking on the word of God. It's not that I have not had opportunities to leave. And it's not that I have not had places to go and things to do. However, my mind is shaped by the call of God. And if the call of God for me is here, then it doesn't matter what's going on in somebody else's life. Here I am and God's going to bless me. And I've, I, I've, I've told people that if, um, if the children of Israel had the tabernacle and all of its furnishings out there in the wilderness, they were required to follow the cloud now, they could have went in the opposite direction because the scripture says if the cloud lifted and went in a certain direction, they had to fold up the tabernacle, the tent and all the furnishings, pack it up. And then they had to follow the cloud. They could have went in the opposite direction. They would have still had the tabernacle and all the furnishings, but they would not have had the presence of God. That's what I want you to see. So as a Christian, then. When I think of ministers. Whose lives are not determined by the call of God and by the will of God, but strictly by advantages regarding money or other things like that, I, I look at that and I say to myself, the, the only thing that matters is where the cloud is. Wherever the cloud is, there'll be manna. And that's how through the years, we've always been taken care of. Because it has to be a supernatural thing. You, no one can live like we live and God not be involved. And, and when, you, when you consider that, you can only do that when you think that God is bigger than what you see. Always remember that God is bigger than what you can see with your natural eye. So in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, he says, be careful for nothing. That is, don't be, don't be full of anxiety. Don't overworry, overthink, don't fret. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And here's how you get peace. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So your heart and your mind has to be kept by peace. That's the preserving ingredient. The scripture says thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. If You don't think about God, you won't have peace. If you think about God, meditate on God, meditate on his word, you have peace when everybody else is falling apart. That's how Jesus could sleep on the ship when all the disciples were falling apart. Because his thinking was different. You see these, these runners, they get ready to get on that track. If they're facing somebody they've been racing ever since they were in elementary school and never have won, then by the time they get out there on that track in high school and they're getting ready for that race, they are already defeated in their mind because they have a history behind them that says you've never beat them. But at some point, you've got to be able to think, okay, I can do this now. 
leading up to the 1984 Junior Olympics when I was boxing, my coach Caldwell had me training with all of these different people who were so much better than me. I mean, I was a little guy, 5 feet 10, 5 feet 11, 132 pounds, soaking wet. So they had me in that little light welterweight class. And so I've got to train with these guys that are heavyweights. Okay, I mean, that's, I mean they, they, they have, have me by 100 pounds. And, and so we're, we're, we're in the ring, and I, I had, the good thing I have, I got a long reach, see? So, so I'm out here, I, I could stick them and hit them from, from a long ways off, but the problem is what I, was, what I was hitting them with wasn't doing anything. I mean, the <laughs> one guy, we're in there, we've got to go instead of three, three rounds of uh, three minutes, we're going seven rounds of four and a half minutes. You know, to make sure you have your wind and everything when you get into the to the big fight. And I mean, I'm just hitting this guy. I mean, I'm catching him with combinations. And I mean, he's a heavyweight, and he's just smiling at me the whole time. And he's just walking in. Finally, I guess he decided he wanted to get involved, and he just started hitting me with body shots. And I was just ready for that bell to ring. Well, when it came time to go into the tournament, one person after another, I had to battle, and I did have to fight a guy that I had lost to in several <clears throat> club fights. Now, the club fights, they'd take an old bar, and then they'd put a ring in it, and then people would come from all around the city, and they'd sit and watch, watch those fights. And so, I mean, this guy, he'd, he'd, put, put, he'd stamp me several times in the, in the ring in those club fights, but now I've got to fight him for the bronze medal round, 132 pounds, 1984. And... And I got in there in that first round. I closed his left eye just from hitting him with jabs and catching him with right hands. And the, the problem was instead of training sometimes when I should have been out there running three, four, five, six miles, the coach always tell you when you're preparing for a fight, do not eat a lot of sugar. I couldn't leave that bubble gum alone. So I got out there that first round, wore that guy out, and that second round started running out of gas. Come, you mix into that. I was under conviction because I was a Christian now, I'm serving God. I'm just starting my little preaching and everything like that all throughout junior high school, and here I'm in here beating up on people. So I was feeling bad sitting on that stool. And Caldwell is telling me, go in for the kill. Go in for the kill. Guy's eyes closed. Step to your right. He can't see from the left. Catch him with a right hook. Take him down to the floor, and it'll, be, it'll all be over. And I was feeling bad about all of that. Well, when, 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 it, was, when it was all over, he ended up winning the fight. Not because he outboxed me. I pretty much gave up. But see, here, here's the mentality I had going in. I can defeat this guy. And you can. You can. All you have to do is do well one time. You can defeat the adversary. Just one time. You can defeat the adversary. Notice here in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. The last sentence, think on these things. If you have a choice. You can think about things that are not true. So, Pastor Darrell, what are some things that are not true? Well, the devil will say to you, you're going to die. You're not dead yet. See? 
Yeah, you're not dead yet. Well, the, the devil will say, well, you're not going to be able to pay those bills. Well, it hadn't happened yet. So don't, don't, don't believe what, what he's saying. Fear is still a form of faith because you're believing in something that's unreal. But faith is when you believe God to produce something that has not, something you, you're believing for, something you're hoping for, something you're expecting. And you want that to be positive. So the scripture says, think on whatever is true. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, truth and the life. So meditate on him. Meditate on stories that have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ rather than simply meditating on what your neighbor says about you. The slander and the rumors that that go around go around town or what your fellow employees may be saying about you. They might not like you for a lot of different reasons, but who cares? Meditate on things that are true. Things that are honest. You don't want to give yourself to thinking about deceitful things. There are people who lay awake at night dreaming up ways how to get your property into their possession. Thieves. There are people who have made and planned some very elaborate schemes for robbing banks. Robbing uh, other places of business because they wanted that money. And if you sit around long enough and think about all that, I can promise you your actions pretty soon are going to follow through with your thinking. And that's why we have a whole generation of people right now that feel entirely entitled because they have learned that I can I can take advantage of a system that makes it possible for me to live at ease. I was just think on things that are honest. Whatever is just. Now, just does not mean fair. God's not always fair. He's righteous. What he does is correct. But God's not like parents. Parents will say, look, if you don't have enough candy for everybody, then one can't have it. God will give candy to Israel and give the Canaanites nothing. And it doesn't bother him at all. And God will bless you through his covenant and will not bless other people that don't have a covenant with him because God is not interested in fairness. He's interested in what is just, what is righteous, and what is correct. How's he going to further his plan? Whatsoever is pure. You have to be able to look at some of these and define these to understand the kinds of things you ought to think about. You don't want to think about what's impure and unclean. Jesus had to deal with unclean spirits in the Gospels. You don't want your mind filled with filth, stuff like that that's bad. You have control over that. You don't have to watch certain things. You don't have to listen to certain things. It's a choice. Whatsoever things are lovely. That, that's what people like. It's like looking at a movie and then at the end of the movie you always feel good. You know, something like that. The show makes you feel good at the end. You smile. Good guys always win. Just life, life is pretty good when you know Matt Dillon's on the job, folks. I'm telling you. Life is pretty good. Unique man had a six shooter shoot 37 times without even having to refill. I mean, he had pretty pretty good gun there. Whatsoever things are of a good report. Now, this is interesting because we've got to give a definition for good. If, if I go to the doctor and the doctor tells me something I may not necessarily want to hear, that doesn't mean it's not a good report. Remember, you can't. You can't begin to use your faith for something until you can specifically identify what it is you're supposed to be believing God for anyhow. 
it's hard to apply your faith for a specific situation if, if you're unclear on what it is that you're battling. Once you can identify the enemy, then you can prepare for it. And that's why it's good to know what your enemy, his weapons are. That's why military people study other nations and pay attention to how they teach their military. And we want to send our people to other places to help teach their military so we can learn about their strengths as well as their weaknesses. And the scripture says, lest the devil get the advantage over you because we are not ignorant of his devices. What is one of his greatest devices? Unforgiveness. That's what Corinthians says. Unforgiveness. Roots of bitterness. Let me finish up. A good report. So you're trying to do something for God. You're stepping out in faith and someone comes along and says, well, I know five other people that made the same attempt that you're making and they failed. <laughs> well, what, is that? what do they have to do with me? Five other people. They failed. Okay, then five. I, I, if you tell me how they failed, now I know five other ways not to do it. <clears throat> That's what that means. Five other ways I know not to do it. So if I don't do it exactly as they did it, I won't fail. But we'll try something different. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So when it comes to that mind, if I don't want that mind to be broken and I don't want it to become feeble, but I want it to be whole and healthy, then I've got to make sure that the book of the law is that which I am meditating on. I don't want the adversary to get the advantage over me. That's why when Tiff and I take long trips and we've got to drive, people say, how far do you have to drive? I can't tell you how many miles. I can just tell you three preaching tapes, ten teaching tapes, nine praise and worship tapes away. One night we got to praising God driving down in the Texas middle of the night. Tiff and I both were in that car praising the Lord so hard that I drove right off the ramp and didn't even know I was getting off. I thought I was still on the highway. Went right off the ramp and just, what did you do? Stopped at the stop sign, climbed right back up on the ramp, and we went to praising God down the road again. Yeah. And, and when I'm driving and I've got somebody ministering the word of God to me and it's an encouragement to me, I just get lost. I mean, I can't remember sometimes the signs on the road because I'm just plowing ahead. And that's what I need to feed myself. To keep encouraged. I don't have to do that. I could put on something that don't have nothing to do with the king, but if I'm going to maintain this mind, I've got to have the book. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Praise the Lord. I don't know, Tiff. You think I should make a think I should make a praise and worship tape with me doing all the singing and then give a copy to everybody in here? Let them listening to me going up and down the road. <laughs> It'd be interesting, I tell you that. But here, he, here's what I want you to know. That scripture says, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. You are what you think, just like people, you've heard people say you are what you eat. Think of how many young people have been raised in homes where they had neighbors and parents that said to them, you're never going to amount to anything. You're going to be just like your brother. Now, you can believe it. They could believe it. 
Or we can help somebody get their focus on the word of God, and then God can take that little plant and cause it to grow and flourish, and then somebody can become prosperous and have good success. That's why you see a lot of these people, when they, when they make it and God helps them, they have a hard time ever going back home. Because when they go back home, they have a lot of bad memories because they're surrounded by people that told them you'd never make it. It's not going to work. But now they're wanting to enjoy the fruits of their labors. So believe God. Because where you are now is not where you're going. God's got more and more and more and more. Just because people tell you that you're at the ceiling of your job, that doesn't mean God can't do a little bit more. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that your word is true. It's the firm foundation on which we stand. Father, we just take authority over a spirit that would bring negative thoughts, defeated thoughts, depressive thoughts. Your word says that Jesus came to deliver us from oppression. That's Acts 10.38, God. So, Lord, let our minds be free to think the word of God Let us bring every thought captive so that those thoughts, Lord, would glorify you and praise your wonderful name. And we thank you for the release of faith in our hearts and our lives, the release of healing in our bodies. We thank you, Lord, for the release of your joy in our homes, in our relationships. Father, I pray that on their jobs every day, whatever they set their hands to, would prosper. Father, let the bosses, let their fellow employers, want to know, fellow employees want to know what it is about them that makes them so different. God, we love you, we honor you, and we praise you tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen, amen, amen.